Sermon Notes. This is Tad. I'm here with Garland. And as always, Josh Blakely, producer of Sermon Notes. We're going to be in John 5 this week. Garland, would you give us just kind of a quick overview, some context of where we're going to be at this week in our John series? And what a fantastic intro am I to that. <laughs> um, thank you, Tad. Yes, we're glad to uh, glad to be here. Um, yeah, we're, we're continuing our series and we're trying to, uh, to follow John as he gives us these seven named, they're signposts, they're, they're things that Jesus has done that point to what John is trying to communicate, which is that Jesus is, is Israel's Messiah. He's the one that comes and, and, and solves the problem of sin and conquers sin and death, and he's the true king of the world. And John has tipped his hand as to why he's writing this, uh, why he's writing it this way. And here he's giving us these these seven signs. And we continue that study. We've looked at the, the water and the wine, the healing of the royal official son. And now we come to John chapter five, and Jesus is going to heal a, a man who's been crippled for nearly four decades at what we call the pool of Bethesda. And so here we are, John chapter five, um, the, just to set the scene, um, you can read it, uh, obviously, but to set the scene, Jesus is going to go up to a festival in Jerusalem. So there's going to be uh tens of thousands of additional people in town. And there he's going to go to a place that almost no reputable person would go. This, this pool that's got supernatural power somehow tied to it with uh, a bunch of people who were ceremonially unclean, the crippled and the, the, the blind and the lame. And here they are all gathered in one place and no one of any repute would go there. And Jesus goes right in. Um, and here he, in, he encounters a man who's been uh, who's been crippled for thirty eight years, and he heals him. Now John he doesn't really he doesn't really draw our attention to the healing itself, the, re- the reaction of the healing. Instead, he draws our attention to the controversy that then erupts over this man and his and is carrying his mat. So as oftentimes happens, modern people like myself. I want to. I want more of the story. I want the psychology of this man. Give me what's going on in his heart. And John's just not going to go there. In fact, what he wants to do is he wants to connect this healing to something way bigger, namely the Sabbath. And so we're going to spend some time on Sunday talking about why John is doing this. It's going to be, after all, what the Jewish leaders get frustrated with Jesus about. So the story ends with the Jewish leadership frustrated with Jesus um, because they feel like he's messing with the Sabbath. He's making some really provocative claims about himself. And ultimately, that's what John is interested in. So um, we're going to try to, to, to get ourselves there on Sunday morning as we follow along with John's text. But that kind of orients us to the scene. Yeah. And so there's, there's, probably so many different ways that you could go about unpacking this passage and another part of this podcast is to help kind of pursue some of those things that didn't quite make the cut for Sunday as far as just not being able to have enough time to get Only into 30 it. minutes. Yeah. We need two hours <laughs> right. every Sunday. People just don't want this. that. Uh, but what are, what are some of the things that haven't, that you're going to maybe not get enough time to talk about that have stood out to you in this or just piqued your interest? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a bunch of this, this week had a bunch of things that didn't, 
just didn't have time. Um, we're going to spend a little bit of time on where's verse four. So okay. if you can notice yeah, big there, question. What's uh, going on with, verse with four that? is not there. And uh, you're going to see uh, probably your Bible. If you're, uh, if you're, if you're listening to this and you've got your Bible open, uh, you'll probably see that uh, there's a footnote or it'll be in brackets. Mm-hmm. Verse four will be in brackets. And what that's indicating is there's a textual variant here. And a textual variant is a place where manuscripts, we have ancient manu- collections of manuscripts of these documents, namely in this case, John's gospel. And there are disagreements in those manuscripts. And it's really helpful, actually, to have the sheer volume of manuscripts that we have is we could compare and go, what do we think happened here? Okay, that was a misspelling or that was, you could see that they just missed a word because they just didn't hear it or they didn't write it. Um, and then you can see, and that's, that's by the way, there are textual variants in the Bible in almost every verse. And that freaks people out. But like overwhelmingly, literally like 98% of those are small, easy little things to explain like, oh, he forgot uh, an O there because the word before it ended with an O, the next one started with an O and he forgot the O. Oh, I get it. Um, and like you said, the sheer number of manuscripts that we do have though kind of help us. Yeah, it makes it really helpful. Whittle it down to what was mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. original. Yeah, likely. we can get back to what we can be, we, we can be certain is as close as we can get and if we can know that it's reliable at least. Okay. Um, but there are some, in, there are some occasions like where this <laughs> like this one where there is a little more weight to it i mean this is a full verse not just a uh, a small little misspelling or something and just for you the sermon notes listener just hear this um when there's one of these two percent that are a little more weighty your bible translators are always going to tell you they're not trying to pull the wool over honest. your eyes they, yeah they, they throw us this, yeah. this footnote down here so we can see mm-hmm. here's what happened so in this case most of the best manuscripts our earliest manuscripts don't include this which probably then means a later scribe was uh wanted to fill in the gaps as to why these people had gathered here mm-hmm. and this might have even been a part of an oral tradition that had been passed down with this account um but it wasn't part of the original probably now if we find maybe a, in, in some cases this scribe's personal footnote in yeah. their manuscript yeah. that then later we've looked at and been like, we don't yeah. know if this actually was a note on the side or something like that. The original. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And so, um, but the, your, your translators are going to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, the people that do this work, work really, really hard. It is a difficult field. I mean, just go look, yeah. go Google manuscripts, uh, like old ancient uh, Bible manuscripts. It's a hard, difficult field, mm-hmm. but these people do this with fidelity, with uh, integrity, and we can be, we can trust that what we read when we read our Bible is uh, the best that we can do at getting as close to the original documents uh, as we can in translation. We're re- we're all reading this in translation, so um, I recognize that for some people, this is a major source of either concern or you got a big doubt on this. We would love to encourage you to reach out to us, reach out to somebody you trust, reach out to the person that disciples you, and don't just sit in that doubt. This yeah. is an okay place to come with those. And but I'm going to ask. You, do, do your homework in the doubt. And sure. you, you might have to read a, a difficult to read nerdy book yeah. um, or something like that. Off. Yeah, but yeah. don't just write it off. Do your homework. Um, tell, and, tell us about, because you and I have talked about a little bit, I think you can kind of balance maybe some of the uncertainty with this textual variant with also some of the archaeology, though, that goes into this pool that up until somewhat, 1964, yeah, actually, 1964 yeah. people didn't even think was real and was another kind of reason for doubt. Mm-hmm. Give us just a brief thing on that. I know real, you might yeah, touch well, it on I'm going to talk about it on Sunday, uh, but... For, for centuries, skeptics, uh, liberal scholars had looked at this passage and said, oh, see, there's John. There goes the Bible again, giving us a historical inaccuracy. And the reason was we had no other record of this pool of this in archaeology or in literature. There was nobody else ever mentions this pool. Mm-hmm. We have no 
Uh, we have no record of it in the in the dirt, we might say. And conservatives had guessed. They'd, they'd said this building, maybe this hill, maybe it's under this. And we really didn't know. And for centuries, this was one of those, see, John's got a pool where there ain't no pool. And so how can you trust the Bible? Here goes, here they go again with a, a bad historical blunder in their account until 1964. Buried, and, and just it's the nature of archaeology in general, it's... The fact that we find anything, I think, is actually kind of miraculous. And so I don't expect archaeology to be my end-all, be-all on things because just the nature of what it is. But in 1964, right near where the Sheep Gate was, they underneath a Byzantine church, this is dozens of feet below, they found, there it was, the Pool of Bethesda, five colonnades, exactly how John described it. It's actually, like, it's actually the size of a football field. It's wow. really big. Um, and we'll talk about that some on Sunday. But yet again, um, it's okay to have those doubts. It's yeah. okay to, to read skeptics. It's okay to to have concerns and question marks. Bring them honestly, but then you got to do your homework. You got to you got to you got to investigate. And so I always try to fan people's fan the flames of people's uh, doubts because often, then at least in my life, that's created intimacy with the answers. Lord. Yeah, it's driven me to look into the text. Um, but I guess dismissiveness over it, or running from it, or burying your head in the sand that's 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 just not good enough. So I'm asking sure. us as a church to to press in. So beyond the nerdy stuff, uh, just Bible scholarly things, uh, what else do you see going on in this passage that that stands out to you that excites you about Jesus? Yeah, the big one, and you're teaching this in FSM, so the big one that we're going to spend a few minutes on on Sunday, but this seems to be John's big concern, is connecting. I want to be clear on this. He's he's telling us an amazing story, right? Mm-hmm. This miracle, but he wants us to see the bigger picture of the Sabbath. Right. So, so Ted, verse nine, the dun, dun, dun. Now the day was a Sabbath yeah. that this yeah. happened should be a big turning point. Yeah. And I want more there, right? Like right. at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat yeah, and walked. Go? Tell me what, what happened else happened. Yeah. Like, are you serious? And then look what he says. But by the way, let me tell you what day this is. Mm. Like that just seems, seems so like one of those random silly. Details. Yeah, I don't need that. But for John, this is what he's driving at. So the can you give detail. give us the background a little bit, Tad, if you would mind? What is the, you know, what is the Old Testament idea of the Sabbath? How does mm. that function? I think for most of us, we hear Sabbath and we think that's a day where we rest and not yeah. we don't do anything. Um, but the Bible. Genesis one and two has a yeah. different understanding of the Sabbath. So help us understand that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, and the Sabbath is a major theme for the Old Testament. It's very important for the Jews. If we go back to even creation, centered on the idea of the seventh day after God created the earth, he came to rest in creation and he and he you almost imagine he takes his seat on his throne of the heavens and the earth and he rests in it to be enjoyed. And so in practice, the Jews would take the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, and they would cease from their work to just enjoy God's presence in the creation, to trust in him, to remind themselves that the striving that they had been doing through the week, that ultimately God was sovereign over creation, and to genuinely rest in that. And it became such a significant part of their culture um, to remind themselves that, that God even took very seriously when they would neglect the Sabbath. And we even see that in a lot of Old Testament passages where um, God would would kind of come down on them pretty hard. You have abandoned the Sabbath. You have you have pursued your own strength and striving. You have not honored and kept the Sabbath holy. This is my day. And and I think there's some beauty in that, that it's not just a this kind of uh, arbitrary rule, I want you to take a day off. Um, I think it's amazing that God would invite us to take a day to reflect on his goodness and his sovereignty and and to take a break from the striving and let the, our relationships um, with him and with each other and with the land um, just, just rest in that and enjoy his sovereignty over it. Yeah. Think about it. We, it's a, it's a weekly reminder to reorient mm. away from self-centered <clears throat> thinking, self-reliant thinking, and remind ourselves that God is in control. He's on his throne. Yes. And for rabbis, uh, 
the Sabbath became a really important uh, idea. Mm. And as you're saying, the the people had neglected the Sabbath. And so what Jewish rabbis had done, and we can see this in what's called the Mishnah. It got developed probably around mm-hmm. the time of Jesus and codified about 150 years after Jesus. Uh, we could see its development before that. The rabbis were really concerned with, okay, we got in trouble for breaking the Sabbath. So mm-hmm. let's put all sorts of rules around the Sabbath so that we won't break it. Yeah. Because like don't, don't yeah. carry your mat. You can't carry exactly. a certain amount of weights. You yeah. can't go walk this far. They seem really silly to us, yeah. but the motive behind it is really good, actually. The motive is we're, we we want to not break the Sabbath, so let's put hedges around the Sabbath so that we don't break it. And there was all sorts of things that they had. From a worldly sense, and even just from my eyes, that looks like a wise thing. Yeah, looks smart. And yet, Jesus begins to challenge the Pharisees in this, and that becomes the big controversy of Jesus working on the Sabbath and, and challenging that. It's not just that he's breaking their rule or telling them that they don't need to have all those silly little things. He's actually making a claim about himself because in the Pharisees' mind, the only person who could work on the Sabbath, the only person who could uh, not break the Sabbath would be God himself. Right. That He's the only one who could uh, continue to, in his sovereignty, maintain all of the earth and hold it together mm-hmm. because he is the sovereign one. Mm-hmm. And so for Jesus to break their Sabbath, for them, him to do work on the Sabbath— he is making a claim about himself, which is we see in, in verses 18. That's why they wanted to kill him because of this. Yeah. If you look at verse like if you look at 16 through 18, the, the, the sermon notes listener, look at uh, Ted's is, is nailed, hitting exactly on the head. They they believe that only God can work on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, you know what? You know, I agree with you. My father's always at work. Mm. And he's worked at this very day, even on the Sabbath. And and I too am working. You can almost yeah. imagine the Jewish, uh, it's kind of the funny. rabbi, say they're going, <laughs> wait a second. Yeah. You're, we believe only God can work on the Sabbath. Jesus says, only God can work on the Sabbath. Yes. They go, they go, you're, you're right. Yeah. He's like, yeah, 100%. You're right. <laughs> so the claim that he's making, I think that's why it says in verse 18, they get what he's doing. Mm. He's making himself equal with God the Father. Um, and so we have to, appreciate John tells a cool story of a man that gets healed yeah. and that's awesome. And we should celebrate that story and see the miracle of it and the power in Jesus. Mm. But it's pointing, this is what John keeps doing. It's pointing to a dramatic claim about Jesus that he really is God coming to bring his order and his goodness and his reign and rule in the world. But what does it look like when his order and mm. goodness and reign and rule comes? It looks like going into the broken place yeah. where nobody wants Which to how go. Cool that it comes full circle. Like, yeah. Him saying, this is God come to meet his people, and yet where would he go if he were here? On this big feast, he doesn't take the central place. He doesn't gather mm-hmm. crowds around himself to be worshipped. He goes to serve the most broken. Who don't even look, they don't even really look at him when he walks in there. No. And that's where yeah. God's abiding he, Sabbath presence goes? Jesus is God, then this shows us that God is a yeah. God of compassion yeah. and mercy and healing. That's cool. That's really cool. Uh, a couple other things that we're just not going to have time to talk about. Uh, I'm not even touching because I don't have time. Um, verse 14 and 15. We're actually not precisely sure hmm. why Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse feels may happen like to you. Warning. Yeah, feels yeah. feels strong. Now, this may indicate that this man, the reason that he was crippled was because of some kind of a sin. Now, we can all uh, appreciate like sometimes you make a bad decision and it has long-term consequences. Um, mm. uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be some kind of, you know, spiritual uh, thing behind it. It could have been, he made a really poor decision and as a result, he's been crippled or it could be, Hey, you, uh, a, a traditional ancient understanding is you're crippled because you're sinful and broken. There's something, your physical is manifesting something wrong with you spiritually. And you can actually see this over in John chapter nine. They mm. do the same thing with a man born blind. Um, so Jesus could be, uh, could be affirming that with this man. We're just not sure. Mm. Um, he could be just saying, saying something as simple as I've presented myself to you 
it's going to be difficult to stay with me. In fact, we're going to see the man is going to go turn Jesus in. So this man is not a hero in the story. I, I think the story the, the, the story ends with the reader having to make a decision about this man. He doesn't really seem to get it even after Jesus comes mm-hmm. back to him. And maybe Jesus is saying, you have to now reorient to me or something worse may even happen. Uh, namely, just, you know, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, interesting. Like, what could be worse than being confined to a mat? For yeah, thirty-eight years, and, and we we would obviously acknowledge that the the something worse would be to miss the Messiah, yeah. to, abs- to to actually miss the presence of mm-hmm. God, and to then reject it. It has much worse consequences than even right. a thirty-eight years on a mat. So something like that is probably going on. The last big piece, as we come to an end here, that I had in the talk, and I ran out of time. I had to cut it. <laughs> is there is a, there's a straight comparison chapter in John, mm-hmm. John five and John 9 are almost identical in the sense that you have uh, a, 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 an, un, an unwell person who Jesus approaches, who Jesus heals, who then has a controversy with the leaders about what Jesus is doing and when and how he's doing it. And both stories mirror each other. They're meant to be read almost side by side. Mm-hmm. To be compared. John, yeah, John's really smart with what he, how he's writing this. And we as modern readers just often fail to pick up on these things. Yet here's the difference. In John five, the healed blind man, or the in, in five the or I mean the, the, healed, the healed crippled man. man. Yeah, John five is the healed crippled man. In John five, the healed crippled man, he Jesus comes and approaches him, and he turns him in. Mm-hmm. But in John nine, the healed blind man, Jesus approaches him, and he looks at the Pharisees and he goes. I mean, y'all, y'all want to be his disciples too? Awesome. He must be, he must be the Messiah. Yeah, he must be yeah. God. And then they kick him out, actually. Both face the they face opposition. Opposition. To, yeah. To how they would respond to Jesus' claims. Exactly. Yeah. Both both face ostracism from community. One seems like John is saying the first man in chapter five, mm-hmm. he isn't willing to face it. In fact, he goes and turns Jesus in. The second man gets kicked out. He's literally kicked out of the synagogue. And I think that the, the the wise reader, the clever reader, who's really, I think, picking up on the things John is trying to communicate, we're supposed to read that and go, which man am I? If I've been, if I have experienced the healing of Jesus, okay, now which am I? Will I stare down hostility and ostracism from community for following a crucified king? Or am I, am I going to go and rat him out? Am I, is that too much for me to bear? Um, and so yeah. we have to, it, it's in your the face in it that sense. It kind of brings back to that. Yeah stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Just yeah. Maybe the thought is the worst thing that could happen to you is to have this kind of encounter with Jesus and to turn away from him. Turn away. Yeah. Cause it just wasn't, it was too much. It sounds like the third soil in Mark chapter four, the soil that because of trial or persecution, they, they, they burned up. And so that in a sense, that's a cross reference here. Yeah. I think John wants us to read that and go be like no, the guy in good. chapter nine, not like the guy in chapter five. Um, but just little nuggets that we didn't have time to get in. Yeah. But man, it's, I know we're, lot, over, we're way over time, but this is so good. Group, yeah. So, yeah. Hope you guys will enjoy this conversations about this passage. Yeah.